Welcome to the Create What You Speak podcast. Join me as we have a real life discussion on how to change your life by changing your thoughts. Remember, question everything, trust yourself, and find your truth. Welcome to the Create What You Speak podcast. My name is Sloan Fremont, and I'm your host. This is a show where we talk about how to free our minds from the mainstream or matrix level programming that we've all been taught to believe. This is through society, through government, through our, quote, school systems or indoctrination systems, however you want to look at that, Hollywood, big tech, and the list goes on. But programming isn't just what's imprinted on us by the matrix also. It's, it's also freeing our mind from our own programming. Those negative thought patterns, those loops, those, those, um, those things that we say to ourselves that keep us stuck in these places that we don't want to be. And this week, our topic is two parts. We're going to talk about using skepticism, discernment, and alternative thinking to free our minds so that we're able to actually think freely. And then we're going to shift gears and talk about the monetary system and how we can really start to look at things through a different lens when it comes to protecting ourselves financially. And so today I'll ask you to keep an open mind with this show and what we're going to talk about. And joining me today is Lawrence Rook, and he's the author of the book, Your Money, Your Mind, How, to, how Open Skeptical Thinking Improves Your Life and can protect you from the pandemic wealth transfer. Lawrence has been a researcher of alternative information for many years, particularly in the field of health and well-being, and more recently, the worldwide financial system. He's a professional chirologist, which Lawrence, I hope you tell us a little bit about what that is, because I'm, I'm interested to hear about that. And he has a background in healthcare with a degree in Chinese medicine. Lawrence lives in Devon, England with his wife and two young children, studying for a doctorate in counseling, psychology, and psychotherapy. And just as a reminder, we will be touching on financial topics today, and this is not financial advice, so please do your own research. So Lawrence, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for having me, Sloan. Yeah. So let's start out. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what the catalyst was for writing your book? Absolutely. So I've always been quite questioning, and I consider myself quite alternative and quite spiritual. And um, I've always kind of hung around with these types of people. And my profession as a chirologist is very alternative. A chirologist is somebody who studies people's hands. So I look at people's hands in relation to psychology, personality Mm -hmm. and health. Mm -hmm. And in doing this, I've always had a very open mind. And what I found is that when starting to question the COVID narrative, so much of it could be explained through finances. And then I started to look at what was going on financially. And so few alternative thinkers, I believe, are of what's going on in the financial system and how they can sidestep it. So mm-hmm. lots of alternative people, I think, are aware of mainstream media and they are aware of the dangers of that. So therefore, they get their information elsewhere. They're aware of their health. So they don't eat GMO foods. They go and buy organic. Mm-hmm. But I think comparatively, not many alternative thinkers know how the financial system is actually intrinsically set up against them and what yes. they can do about it and yes. how they can then empower themselves and be much more independent and sovereign and free once they understand this information. Yes. And that's so key. The word you said, sovereign and free. And those are two things we talk about a lot on this show and, and being able to really because these topics you know first we're not taught these in the 
schools, indoctrination centers, as I call them, we're not taught this, right? They don't want us to understand how this works because if we understood how it works, we wouldn't participate in it. We'd be doing something completely different. So it's not that um, we're, we were taught this and we're just, we just can't learn it. It's that we just don't know. And for years, the, this kind of topic was considered conspiracy, right? You were, um, you know, you, all, all kinds of things were said about people who questioned the way things were set up. But now after 2020, I think people's minds are more open. And as we were talking about before the show, um, I hid my spiritual side before 2020. I didn't, I was, a, you know, my background was in IT. I was very um, logical thinking, right? And my, that's how people knew me. People didn't know my spiritual side, but as, as everything happened in 2020 and has gone on in here, we are in 2022, we, we see that people are crossing over. Those two topics are crossing over. So it's not uncommon for a spiritual person to, um, you know, talk about the financial side of things, but then also still stay on that spiritual track because for some reason, prior to that, it seems like those two things were separate. Like for, we had this belief that they, they couldn't come together. But what, um, what I loved about your book is, is bringing those two um, elements together in a way that we can apply in our own lives. We can, we can take what was written and really start to apply that in our own lives and, and merge these two things together. So they're not these separate things thinking we can only be one or the other or have one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. And um, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. And <laughs> I think as awareness increases for me, that's the definition of spirituality. Yeah. I think you can think about it. Ultimately, we are just consciousness and that's mm -hmm. taking it from the highest possible plane. Right. And so I think any process in which people are expanding their awareness, questioning more and exposing themselves to more information. For me, that's an inherently spiritual process because yes. they're expanding their mind. <clears throat> and as you expand, you gain more awareness and the quest for spirituality is to increase awareness. Right. So I think it's amazing that since 2020, as you say, you, there are just so many people now who are questioning more of the mainstream narrative, questioning more of the authority figures, and as a result, looking much deeper into themselves and questioning who they are. What are they doing? Why are they in this job? Why are they sure. conforming to this? Why did sure. they used to believe that? Why don't they believe it anymore? <laughs> and it's a self-discovery process. It's a process of like a therapeutic journey yeah yeah and you know i felt like for me during this whole time like like the spell has been removed right we all lived under this quote spell for most of our lives where um we just did what we were told and then we didn't stop to ask questions and now we are stopping to ask the questions we had the time right we didn't have a lot of a lot to do in 2020 so we started asking a lot of questions and you open your book talking about having an open and skeptical mind. And what I loved about your book was that it was, you covered such big topics, but you did it so succinctly that it was very easy to understand, but then also someone could take any element of the book and go research, dig deeper and get more, but you give people enough information that at a high level, you could, it could be explained back to someone else very easily. And I think that you did such a great job with such complex topics. So, um, I, I, I love that. I love that about the book. Um, so when we, in the, in the opening of the book, you talk about this, about the skeptical mind, and you talk about how truth is layered and best thought of in terms of levels or degrees, which I really loved how you put that, because I, I think most of us always thought what we thought was true. 
Like it, this is true, right? It, whatever it is, whatever the topic is. And when we started to unpack some of these things and see, wait a minute, what I thought was true wasn't. And now I don't know what I believe anymore. And it's a little unnerving. It's, you know, we go through this whole process of almost like a, 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 a grief process, like a death of what we thought we knew. And now we're having to look at the world differently. So let's talk about that a little bit and how, what that, maybe what that was like for you and how you really see about how we can open our mind and really start this process of expanding our thinking. I know there's a lot there, so we can. Oh yeah. But it's all important stuff. So what I think about it is that most people, whether they realize it or not, don't actually pursue truth. And this is something I talk about in the book. Right. And to pursue truth can be very challenging very painful, very distressing, and very hurtful, which is why intrinsically people can sometimes reject it. But I would say that ultimately, for one spiritual growth, pursuing truth is always going to lead to something greater. And the more we can pursue truth, the more open naturally we're going to be to different types of information, because we don't have an agenda. So if somebody says, go watch this video, go read this report or whatever if you're pursuing truth you'll have no biases to not read it it means that the information you expose yourself to will be greater and this is generally the difference between people with an alternative mind or let's just call it a mainstream mindset just Mm -hmm. for argument's sake and people with an alternative mindset have a far wider range of information that they're willing to expose themselves to right and discerning truth is very hard so you know that's why i discuss it in terms of different layers and you can always find more and deeper truths but ultimately i think what we can all do is open up ourselves to the widest information as possible and in doing that we're going to have a much much better chance of finding 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 truth right and i i know in my experience you know, when, like you were saying, when you're, when you're willing to have an open mind, you're not trying to fight and, um, uh, prove your side of the story is right. Right. You're not trying to hold on to something that, um, you're trying to prove when you have an open mind and you can explore anything out there, you having the willingness to do that, to change your mind. Cause a lot of times I know for myself, I felt like if I changed my mind about something, like I had done something wrong or it was like bad to change your mind. Right. But that is the part of the process is we, we continue to learn and we, we, we grow. And when we're willing to open our mind, we get to see things in a different way. And I talk a lot about on this, on the show about stories, right? We have these stories in our, our, that we tell ourselves, I mean, our whole life is a story, right? Whatever we're telling ourselves in our mind, that's what we're experiencing. And you mentioned in the book, how our lives are driven by narrative narratives. And that, as you mentioned, when we, when we start to even question our own stories, like I said, at the beginning of the show, it is unnerving and it can be so scary and it can be so um, disorienting or we want to fight against it. But if you can, if you can continue to slowly, it's almost incrementally, right? Like opening the crack just a little bit at a time. There is so much freedom on the other side of that. That is, cannot be experienced when you're locked tight in your story, whatever that might be. A hundred percent. And that is the breaking out of the matrix. You know, you right. mentioned it at the, at the start exactly. of the show and it's uh, all the, uh, the Plato's cave analogy, right. you know, when you, when you step out and you see the light and, 
it's again, it's that process of expansion. You're expanding your awareness and seeing more and perceiving more than what you did. And that is the unraveling of truth. You're seeing right. more truths and you're seeing more and more and more about what really happened, about what really happened in your past, about what your job is really like, about what your motivations for making money are, about um, the relationship you have with your partner. And you're constantly kind of growing and expanding. And the reason I say an open and skeptical mind is because I think both of those components are really important. Yeah. So you outlined the open side, which is extremely important. You always need to be questioning more and trying to receive more information. And then the skeptical side is you always want to be checking your assumptions. Right. You never want to just be um, thinking, oh, yes, I, I know that because there's a feeling about it, whatever. You need or to someone so told me exactly and you need to be tracing it back one step further and then one mm -hmm. step further and then one step further and then what so often happens is that when people actually chase back their assumptions they find that they're held from on a very flimsy belief system right and then all of a sudden they, they start to question that very belief system and then you know that that's the unraveling begins exactly yeah 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 so always be incredibly skeptical of information i'm extremely skeptical um but in doing that then leads me on enormous tangents into areas yeah. in which other people, you know, might not, might not explore. Yeah. And how do you, one thing I have trouble with when I, when I think about, when I go down rabbit holes, let's say about different topics, sometimes I come to an ending where I'm like, I don't know what I believe anymore. And I feel like I can't believe in anything. How do you handle those kinds of situations? It's, it's tricky. And, you know, this is a, um, a conundrum of, of many, many great philosophers over, mm -hmm. over the age. And mm -hmm. um, I think it comes down to a sense of, for me, it comes down to a sense of knowing that there is something greater and having yeah. um, more of a spiritual um, yeah. perception of things. You know, I do believe that we are all consciousness and that consciousness is collective and we're just part of that same unified conscious field that's having right. a unique experience mm -hmm. and I think there's really good scientific evidence to actually back that up so that would be for me personally but people do need to have values and they do mm -hmm. need to have things that orientate them but yeah. the problem is is if the things that they value the highest are built on wobbly foundations let's say that's when the crisis can happen when they confront truth so to give to give an example, if somebody's in the army and their highest value is to become a sergeant major and they kind of worship that status right. and they associate themselves with being in the army, you know, all their friends are in the army, their identity is being a soldier. Yes. Mm -hmm. So then what happens when they find out that their sergeant, who they've been following their whole life, got admiration, they find out that person is corrupt or they find out that the army is doing something intrinsically wrong and some experiment somewhere, then yeah. they've got a choice. They can either switch off from that information and carry on and pretend they never saw it, yeah. or they have to change their life. And changing yeah. their life is very difficult, but that is the spiritual journey. Yes. And, and so many of us went through that and are still going through that. And I did a show back in 2020 called the era of the guru is over because I felt like we were finally at a stage where we were realizing that the answers are not outside of us. The answers are within, we've been taught they're not, but that's 
not true. That's just, again, part of that matrix programming. And so going in and trusting ourselves brings up a whole other level of learning, you know, starting really almost starting from a beginner stage of really understanding what it means to trust yourself and that you have the answers. And when we're faced with these things, like the example you just gave, where what we thought we built our, our foundation on becomes, um, we find out the truth of that, right. Then it can feel again, like I did something wrong or I'm bad or, you know, or we can ignore it or whatever, but the part of the journey, like, as you mentioned, the whole part of it is expansion. I believe like we came here for expansion, right? We didn't come to stay in the box and, um, have the, you know, these experiences that were only hitting up the edges of the box, right? We were meant, the box is meant to grow. And so as painful as everything has been, that's one of, for me, one of the best parts of the past two years of pushing up on that box and and expanding the box and being able to get out of my own head in my own way to live my life in such a authentic and different way than I was living it before. Completely. And it goes back to what you were saying that once you start to break out, to see the truth, to expand, there's such a feeling of liberation that comes with it. It's kind of like if somebody was stuck in a bad relationship, and it's an abusive relationship and they know they should leave but the right. hard part of ending a relationship is always the decision before it's it's working out in your head look i need to leave but as yeah. soon as you say it's over that's when the liberation comes right and that's when all of the potential and all the new possibility then arises and um what it actually is that i think is going on you know worldwide is people are essentially just letting go of an identity letting go yeah. of an ego If I go back to the example of the person in the army, in order for them to accept what the truth is, they're seeing the corruption in the army, they're seeing the corruption in their heroes in the army, they have to let go of their identity. They are no longer who they thought they were. They can't be the soldier. And that's the same as anybody, someone in the medical establishment, if they see corruption in big pharma, they can't hold their identity as a doctor anymore. They have to let it go because they realize it's corrupt. And as more and more of these systems are exposed, people are becoming freer and freer and freer. But it's a painful process for some people yeah. as yeah. they have to let, let go of past identity. Yes, that's exactly right. And I love the way you describe that because that is so true. And you can look at that letting go two ways. You can look at it as the fear side of it, or you can look at it as the opportunity that comes with that, right? The Because deep down, most of us, new in some way, it wasn't quite right, but we couldn't really probably put it into words. Some maybe could better than others, depending on maybe what industry you were in. But to me, being able to um, let go of all this, all these expectations and all this fakeness that we lived for so many years is very, very freeing. Completely liberating. That's exactly it. And then the irony with this comes is that the people who are most successful in any system they have the most to lose. Right. The people who are at the top of any profession or near the top, who make the most money, who have the most esteem, who have the most recognition, their identity is much, much stronger. So therefore, finding it very hard to question that system because then they've got so much to lose if they question it. Exactly. Kind of like a, it's a vice, it's a mental vice. So that's why I think it's... um, we need to be very careful following experts and we need to be very trusting authority because really 
those authority figures have got the most vested interest in whatever it is that they're professing. When I read that in your book, the light bulb went off for me because again, it was so simply explained and it made so much sense because as we've seen over the past two years, you know, authority who we maybe would have looked to as authority in the past, as we've all seen, um, that isn't exactly what is true. And, and then it leads us to, okay, so what is truth? Right. Because then everybody's, there's different degrees of truth, I suppose, different levels, you know, there's all of these things, but thinking about it in that way, that a person who is a quote expert, which I don't even like that term because it's, um, I don't like it personally, but an, an expert has such a narrow is so tightly wound in the box, right? They, the box is conforming to their skin, right? They are the box. But when we're talking about, uh, open and skeptical thinking, like, like people who are more, um, aware or more open to this, you know, our, our box is as big as we want it to be. And that is, but in society, the person who is, the quote expert wearing the box, they've been raised on the pedestal where those of us who had the opener, more skeptical thinking, we were looked down upon and called names and, you know, conspiracy theorists and all this stuff. But the paradigm there, I think is finally shifting where people are starting to see, wait a minute. No, just because somebody stands up on the stage and tells me something on TV. I mean, surely I, I know all the listeners listening know that <laughs> no, we don't get our news from quote TV, but um, there, there's such a shift there that honestly, I'd never th- thought we would ever see. And it's, it's amazing that it's finally starting to go that way. It's inspiring, isn't it? It really is. And there are two ways that you can look at, you know, the world and events going on. And, you know, one of them is that it's absolutely tragic and there's so much deceit and corruption and everything, but things have to get bad for people to realize it, don't they? And um, it kind of, it's coming to the surface. It's, It's getting so strong that people can't ignore it. And there are people that ignore it and there will be people that will always stay blind to it in the same way that there are people that will always stay blind to, um, you know, any cult and, uh, you know, they can't break free of it. But um, yeah, I mean, a a lot of what happens in our psychology as a society is we give away our power and we give away our power through, you know, outsourcing our respect to other people. We outsource our information to the media. We trust the scientists blindly. And we also think that we are not smart enough to evaluate the science. We think that we are not capable to kind of um, view things logically, but we absolutely are. And this is all part of the, the hierarchy, you know, the people who are at the top in whatever profession, they want to protect their status. And they do so by making us feel we're dumbed down in some kind of way. Yeah. And then you think about the way it is in, you know, schools growing up, right. You're not, you're taught to fit in, be the, get in line and stay in line. Otherwise you're, you're a problem. And then there's other things that are done uh, when that happens, but being the, if, if everyone would understand that, that, um, this is all every, we, we came into this world with, intuition with emotions with feelings and we've ignored those for so long and we've told ourselves not to listen to our intuition or that our feelings don't matter and that is absolutely not true right these are all ways that we're guided we're through our like we these were gifts we were given to guide ourselves and so i i am also glad to see that that is being more um it's it's something that it was, I think it was talked about before, but it's, it's like a whole nother level to that now where people are actually like 
understand. It's almost like you can't not do it now. Maybe. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's, it's get, everything that we've went through. There has to be a different, like we have to do things differently and being able to utilize those gifts that we were given and, and see that it's okay to do that. I think that's a, a shift I've seen with um, people I've talked to and just, just, you know, family, friends, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's an amazing shift, um, amazing and empowering, because as the old systems crumble, be it education, media, healthcare, whatever it is, people then have to start taking responsibility for themselves, and people have to start uh, manifesting what it is that they want in their life. And if things are locked down, you know, then people get creative and they start right. creating and. Right. Uh, yeah, I think it's, there's a lot of real positive things that can come. Yeah. Like what you hear so far? Take what you've learned and invest in yourself with the Create What You Speak Academy. Visit createwhatyouspeak.com to learn more. Now back to the show. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the monetary system. So the second part of your book focuses on that. And again, I think, as I said earlier, what I loved is how succinctly you describe some of these very, very complex and very, um, these are like mind blowing concepts to learn, I think, because again, we're not taught this. And when people really understand at a basic level, how things are set up and stacked against us, um, you know, again, you go through this whole range of emotions, right. From anger to disbelief to, you know, whatever it might be, but, um, can you, and I don't know if you can, so we might have to take this in layers, but can you briefly describe our current monetary situation? And if you need to narrow it down or if there's a, if there's a better way to ask this, um, feel free to describe it in that way. Yeah, no, absolutely. So yeah, this is it. And the same happened for me. So I've, I've been completely on your wavelength in terms of, you know, how, how I'm thinking and stuff and questioning things and being open-minded, being spiritually inclined, et cetera. But I'd never looked at the monetary system in detail mm-hmm. because I think a lot of nice people who um, work with others or are either very creative or therapeutically minded, they see money as being um, a bit of a, you know, you know, nice people don't work for money. And right. um, money in our society and the way the world is structured, money relates to freedom. Right. Because if you have a lot of money, you have more options and that's mm-hmm. freedom. Right. People who have more money, they're trapped. And, you know, that's a terrible thing. So money in our society is really this mechanism of control. So in order to be truly free, to be truly liberated in this society that we live in, that's governed by money, you need to understand how money works, what it is. Right. So in short, our money that we have is called fiat money. Fiat means by decree. And what it means is that it's intrinsically not valuable. A, a piece of paper that we use for money, there's no actual worth to that. You can't take it to the bank and get any gold for it. Mm-hmm. It's not backed by anything. So it's just issued by government and we have to trade with it. Now, the big issue is, is that the government control the money system. Right. So they get to print more money whenever they want it and they get to give it to whoever they want and this is called inflation Mm -hmm. now the analogy i use for this is yeah now the analogy for this is to think about playing monopoly now if you've got three or four people playing monopoly but one of them is the banker and they've got as much money from the bank as they want 
and they can give it to another player whenever they want, what's going to happen to that Monopoly game? <laughs> it's going to be incredibly one-sided. And right. very soon, the person with access to the money is going to mop up all of the properties. Right. And uh, this is very literal to what we're seeing now. What's happening since COVID, but this has been happening longer, but since COVID, it's got to an extraordinary level. There's been a huge amount of stimulus and money printing. And that money printing has gone to private banks, it's gone to hedge funds, it's gone to big corporations, and they are buying up all of the valuable property and goods in society. And what this does is it makes the rich incredibly rich, and it makes the poor and middle class incredibly poor. Because mm -hmm. if someone doesn't have a house, well, inflation means that house prices have just gone up 20%. Right. So where are they going to get that extra 20% from? Right. And if somebody's on minimum wage, well, you know, Thanksgiving dinner went up 20% in America last year. Well, where are they getting that extra 20% from? Right. Because you're not making it if... up in the wages, right? You're not getting a 20% yeah. raise to, exactly. you know, offset exactly. that. This is exactly it. This is exactly it. So the way you think about that is if you have $10,000 in the bank, and let's say inflation, inflation in the US is officially 7%, but it's actually much higher than that. Mm -hmm. So say inflation is 10%. If you have $10,000 in the bank, 10% inflation means that the purchasing power of your money has just gone down 10%, which means that now effectively you've got $9,000. Right. And, and you did nothing, right? You did nothing. You did nothing. To, right. you did nothing. This is right. it. So this is why over time, people are having to work harder and harder and harder to get a down payment for a house. Mm -hmm. And this is why over time, people are having to work harder and harder and harder to pay for a whole house. And right. if you think about how many people can survive, how many families can survive on a single income now compared to what they would have done 60 years ago. Nowadays, both people, parents have to work pretty much full time in order mm -hmm. to support a family. This never was the case. And mm -hmm. this is all down to the fact that our money is being devalued. And that's the way to conceptualize it. Over time, our money is worth less and less and less and less. $10 in 1910 would have bought you a hell of a lot more than $10 in 2020. Right. And as we carry on printing more and more money, money is becoming less and less and less valuable. So the question is, how do we protect ourselves from this? Right. When they're taking our money away from us, which is our time, our money is our livelihood, it's our freedom, our freedom is being taken from us, our time is being taken from us, mm -hmm. and in the bank, it's getting taken from us. If we put it under the mattress, it's getting taken from us, and um, this is the conundrum. Right, and you know, then you get mad and depressed, and you know, like feel like what's the point, you know, and all of these different emotions, right. That come through because a lot of these, we're talking about things that are so big, right. The, the matrix is, is not like just the, the corner store, you know what I mean? I mean, it's everywhere and it's, it's, it's a big, it's, it's everywhere around us. And so knowing what we know about the financial system, what, how can we protect ourselves and what, and I like in your book, you talk about two ways, digital and analog. So maybe we, we can think yeah. about it from those ways. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. So we're, we're in a very technologically driven age, aren't we? And um, everything's going online, everything's being digitized. And if you think about um, the world, um, music has been totally digitized. Mm -hmm. Spotify is huge now. People don't right. have CDs. 
yeah right. um books are all online now you know book actual physical bookshops you know are getting less and less and there's more pdfs and things um movies people don't buy dvds anymore do they right. everyone watches right. on netflix so everything's being digitized and what i give as a digital option um for storing wealth is bitcoin Mm -hmm. And not everybody is going to resonate with this just because it requires a certain amount of perhaps technological understanding. But Bitcoin is something that's outside of the traditional financial system, which means it's not owned by bankers. It's not owned by government. So it's decentralized, which means mm -hmm. nobody owns it. Right. And there's a finite amount. There's only ever going to be 21 million, which mm -hmm. means it can't be printed. Right. So when we think about what the problem is, the problem is central bankers in every country in the world are printing money and they control the money. So we need to find something that they can't print. Right. So the digital version of that would be Bitcoin. And you can look at other cryptos as well. But in the book, I explain why Bitcoin is essentially the, um, the best solution for that. And then if you go to analog, which is tangible, physical, mm -hmm. then I say gold and silver, which mm -hmm. have been money for thousands and thousands of years. And um, universally, gold is a store of value. Universally, people will accept silver as wealth. And there have been lots of monetary collapses throughout history. And there have been some ones that have happened very recently. There's a monetary crisis going on right now in um, Turkey. Um, Argentina's currency is really struggling. Mm -hmm. And people in these countries have lost all of their wealth because mm -hmm. the currency goes to zero or near zero. So you can have $100,000 in the bank but if the currency then goes into hyperinflation or they print too much money, no one wants the dollars. Right. So you can't buy anything with it. Right. And if we get to that situation, what I suggest and advise to everyone really is to think about is what would you rather be holding? Would you rather be holding dollars that are being printed by a central bank or would you rather be holding a piece of gold that right. no one can print and has been money for thousands of years? And exactly the same with silver. So anything that's a hard asset, anything that's real, tangible, and has got value um, kind of intrinsically. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, so let's take the digital piece. Let's take Bitcoin first, because I know some of the listeners maybe already own Bitcoin. I, I own Bitcoin. Maybe some are uh, never own that. I'm not, that's not for me, which that's fine too. And there's some that might be in the middle, right? Maybe still exploring, still trying to understand this. And this is why I, I suggested at the beginning of the show to keep an open mind. And as we've talked about being skeptical and, you know, looking at both sides of it, but when you really dig in and, and Lawrence's book does a great intro of, of how, you know, in more detail of how all this works, when you really start to see that the whole system is stacked against us financially. Right. And then there's this whole other piece with debt and um, you know, how that all works and then why debt is needed and how you basically create money out of nothing. And then it just keeps, you know, recycling in the um, uh, fractional reserve banking and all of this stuff that happens, which we're not going to get in on this episode, but um, there's, there's so many elements to that. When you start to see that something should probably go off in your mind, like, okay, wait a minute, then what I've been doing, um, because it, then it can become like this panic, right? Of, oh my God, then what do I need to do? Cash in my savings and put it all into Bitcoin or buy all this gold and silver, right? And, and so, and again, we're not talking financial advice here. We're, we're just talking as, as we see it, but there's, there's something to be said for understanding each element of this and doing 
um, what's right for you to protect yourself in whatever way you feel makes the most sense, given what you know. Yeah, this is exactly it. And to zoom out a second, it's the same crisis that people experience in any um, revealing. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, let's take let's take the JFK one, for example. You know, somebody who would never believe that the CIA might be involved in assassinating a president might be horrified when they watch, you know, um, footage or a documentary or they do some right. research into it. And their first thing is horror. They're hit with sadness. Then they're angry. And then finally, they find the bigger picture. They see where it fits into place. They zoom out. They understand how this matrix is working. And that's where the acceptance comes. Right. And they probably won't want to go and work in the CIA as a result. <laughs> so, you know, that's how they can then start to take good action in their life. Right. And it's exactly the same with this monetary system. And it, there are so many penny drop moments for me when researching yeah. it. And yeah. it takes a long time to assimilate and it takes a long time to process because it's having to rewire the way your brain thinks, yeah. rewire the way you see the world and rewire your value system because we value things in money. You know, right. I'm looking at I'm looking at my computer now and I look at that in relation to money. I look at it and I think five hundred pounds and someone else yeah. might look at their car and think of it as, you know, five thousand dollars. But when you realize, hang on a minute, what does that actually mean? They're just printing that. Is, right. is there any value in dollars over time? You know, so there's all of these um, kind of rewiring moments that have to happen. But as with anything else, the more someone gets into it. The more they let the information assimilate, the more they're able to accept it and then start to benefit from it. Because once you accept a difficult truth, that's when you are now in control. Because yeah. you now choose, do I continue saving in fiat currency or do I start taking some of my savings and start putting them into tangible hard assets? And that's when the power comes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're breaking out of that. You're doing, you're, you're breaking out of that matrix essentially. Um, so let's talk a little bit about maybe some of the cons of digital and analog, because as you said at the beginning, right, we have, we want to have a skeptical mind. We want to look at both sides. So what's some of the cons for digital and analog assets? Yeah. So gold, um, is, has been money for the longest period of time. And currently in our world, we've actually got central banks all over the place who are accumulating gold. And this is very mm -hmm. telling. Right. Um, the Russian central bank is getting rid of dollars and it's accumulating gold. China right. are accumulating lots and lots of gold. But the system doesn't tell you that gold is valuable. The monetary system tells you that gold is actually archaic. We don't need right. it anymore. Modern societies can't function with gold. Yet all the big um, players are actually accumulating it. Now, the challenge with gold is that it's it's a bit cumbersome. It's actually quite hard to store. If somebody's very wealthy and they've got a million pounds or a million dollars, to put that all into gold and keep it safe is quite difficult. It's also quite difficult to move. So mm -hmm. if you wanted to leave America and go to um, a different country, you wanted to go to Mexico or you wanted to go to Europe, taking a million pounds worth of gold would be very, dollars worth of gold would be very difficult to do. Um, right. There'd be huge fees and uh, people would stop you. The and other you could get robbed gold, and all these other things, right? If yeah, totally. Keeping it at home, right? You'd yeah. have to worry about that. Yeah, yeah. And um, the government 
um, historically actually has um, has put a ban on gold and has seized mm -hmm. gold. And yes. almost every society um, has got a history of um, banning or seizing gold in, in some kind of way. Mm -hmm. So th that would be one of the limitations really and the primary limitation of gold. Silver, um, I would, I, I, I'd make a case for silver in the book because if people have their money in gold, um, and they transfer everything into gold. If there is a big economic collapse and there is a great reset, like uh, has been spoken about, right. gold isn't going to be able to be traded in markets. Gold, a gold coin is going to be too valuable. Gold right. will be worth buying a street of houses. So that's where silver comes in. And in um, places where hyperinflation and currencies have collapsed, like in Greece and Cyprus, silver has been used to barter. And people who had silver coins were fine they were able to right. trade everything so that's why i think silver is really valuable um the downside though as i said is confiscation um in in infringement in some kind of way um, they could put huge taxes on gold meaning people right. can't really trade in it and they can try and ban it and buy people from banning it this is where digital um protection comes in and this is where bitcoin is is, is extremely um compelling because mm -hmm. in bitcoin you have it on a little, um, let's say, a USB stick, and you right. can send it anywhere in the world in an instant. Nobody can stop you sending that Bitcoin. Right. And you can send a million dollars worth of Bitcoin around the world in five minutes, and it's there. And you can hop on a plane and go anywhere with your Bitcoin and go to you know, Africa and suddenly be able to access it from the internet. Right. So it's borderless. And this is the real um, innovation. The other thing is as well is that in the most extreme scenario, it would be much, much harder to take someone's Bitcoin than it would be their gold or their silver, because mm -hmm. you'll have to, you'll, you'll be having to crack a code from their head, right. which is, you know, very, very hard to do. Right. Um, you can never really confiscate Bitcoin. The only way you can take it down or confiscate it is if you somehow shut off the whole Internet. And, you know, maybe that might happen. Who knows? But when it comes back on, then the Bitcoin will still be there. There are pros and cons, obviously, um, with, with both. Bitcoin, it's, it's only 10 years old. It's not tried mm -hmm. and tested. There's a very mysterious origins to it. Right. And um, some people might speculate and argue that it could be some kind of Trojan horse. And it's kind of like, um, you know, some kind of nefarious um, entity has given this thing called Bitcoin and, you know, it might be a trap down the line. Right. Um, I've thought that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this is it. And I mentioned mm -hmm. a couple of reasons for that in the book. And um, it's all about risk assessment, really. There's right. a risk with everything. And we've got to work out in ourselves with our own research where we feel comfortable because yeah. there's a big risk for me with having money left in the bank because what we saw in Cyprus, which was, you know, in Europe um, about 10 years ago, was that the banks were all closed and anybody with over 100,000 euros saw the rest of it taken by the bank. This is yeah. called a bail-in. And mm -hmm. when um, you understand how the financial system works, you realise that the banks don't actually hold your money. Right. They lend it out and they spend it. And the other thing is, is it has your money, it's legally theirs. They owe it to you. And if they lose it, that's on you, essentially. It's... Uh, they, they can it's called a bail-in so there's risks of having your money in a bank there's risks of having gold there's risks of having bitcoin and there's risks you know of of of, of everything you can think of but it's about um understanding how to mitigate them as much as possible 
Yeah. And I think what you said, the key is where we're comfortable, where we feel comfortable, you know, finding out this information, right. Understanding it and then making a decision for yourself, what makes sense for you. And it's not going to be the same for each of us. And that's okay. There's no expectation of that. But if you have at least a basic understanding and, and you're interested enough to begin protecting yourself, right? We, we don't, no one knows the future, right? We have no idea, but we know enough to know that we should probably be doing something a little bit different. And so I like how your book gives three very easy options in a way that any of us can do today, starting today. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, I make a strong case for all of the three and, you know, if people read the book, they'll understand how important gold always is in monetary crises. Everything always resets to gold. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot of good things to take from that. But again, to make another comparison, it's kind of like, you know, if somebody realizes and the penny drops that CNN or any mainstream news media is lying to them, the first (laughs) thing is crisis. Oh, no. Where am I going to get my information from? There are so many alternative websites, but I don't know which one to go to. Do I trust this alternative website or that alternative Mm -hmm. website? You know, which one? And it's the initial um, realization is the thing that throws us into um, chaos, essentially, because all of a sudden we've lost our orientation. We don't know who we are anymore. I used to work for this uh, financial system and now I can't trust it. What do I do? Well, once you understand and accept that process, you actually come to a realization that, you can be very, very liberated and very empowered. And if you take your money, for example, out of the banking system and you start putting it into gold, then you feel like a sovereign man or a sovereign woman. You, you right. really become your own master and you take control of your life rather than letting somebody else take control of it. And this is what we need to do with our health, with our education um, and with our money, everything. I totally agree. hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, Lawrence, we could talk for hours, I think, but we're coming up on, on the end of our time. So as we wrap up the show today, what's one piece of advice you would leave with the listeners maybe to um, start considering about opening their minds so that they can really protect their assets, their selves, and um, really, you know, as we move forward and <laughs> I hate, I don't even like to use the word crazy times because that doesn't even cover it, but I think you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I would say don't be scared of big economic concepts this is part of the this is part of the fallacy people don't understand you know these big economic terms that are thrown around um by people in finance and that's deliberate they 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 want to maintain their pedestal position but you know i've researched this for a year and these are concepts that anybody can understand when they're broken yeah. down. And I realized I was onto something when I started speaking to people that have worked in finance their whole life and they couldn't answer the questions I was asking <laughs> and they didn't know the answer. These really right. basic things. And uh, it's about just, um, it's about knowing that you are absolutely capable of understanding how the financial system works. And yeah. um, once you understand it, once you learn how it works, how it's set up against us, how it favors the few, not the many, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you then become empowered because now you have a choice. But yeah. without that information, you're kind of acting unconsciously. You're yeah. acting, you're acting in the dark. So yeah. that's why, you know, tying back to the beginning, information is always ultimately beneficial, even if it temporarily throws us into a bit of a crisis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even if we don't we like it. That, yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is it. Once we overcome that, then we are empowered and um, yeah, we, we can move forward and take our sovereignty back. Because at this yeah. time, 
I, you know, I, I've never experienced anything where so much of our freedom is trying to be taken away. Right. So it's more important than ever now to be savvy, to be aware and um, to take control of things for yourself. Yeah. Very well said. Lawrence, thank you for joining us this week. This has been an amazing conversation. Absolutely loved it. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's been great speaking to you. And congratulations on the success of your book. You've got a lot of great reviews on Amazon. So can you tell the listeners how they can find out more about you and get a copy of your book? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's available um, on all um, online stores and uh, you can also purchase an audio book via my website. Yeah. Awesome. LawrenceRook.com. Yeah. Okay, great. And I'll link to that in the show notes. so Everybody can find that, find you easier. You've been listening to the Create What You Speak podcast brought to you by webtalkradio.net. You can also hear the podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and your favorite podcasting player. I'm Sloan Fremont, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode of the Create What You Speak podcast, where we will continue to explore how we can free our minds so we can make the choice to live free in an unfree world. Check out my website, sloanfremont.com, to learn more.